Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We got this email. You know, and I'm not going to name check everybody because I I, want to be fair about it because there are differences between some of the opinions that have been expressed although some of them just been flat-freaking stupid. One prominent commentator was high-handedly lecturing uh, her audience that Ukraine is not a real country. It's never existed. They all speak Russian, which will come as news to Ukrainians. Uh, but that's just a for instance. As if and, that would make a difference anyway, because if we invade Canada, who speaks the same language as us, that doesn't mean it's okay. Well, well, right. Yeah, clearly. And then we got this uh, this email uh, from a fellow who's emailed us a couple of times uh, lately. Um, I've heard a lot from alternate news sources about how corrupt the Ukrainian government and Zelensky are. They're Hunter Biden's old pals, remember? Russia's GDP is in oil and natural gas, and now we have globalists pushing for a green Manhattan project, which means cutting the world's oil supply off completely. Of course, I'm opposed to Ukrainian children being bombed, but it's as though the globalists, Soros and, Soros and friends, set a trap for Putin in the Ukraine, and he stepped right into it. Something about U.S.-owned germ factories in Ukraine, true or false, I have no idea. The fact that Putin is anti-LGBT is icing on that cake. As a Christian, I'm certainly not going to go to war against Putin or anyone for that reason. I hope I'm wrong, but I think that when the dust settles, the world will look very differently. They're bent on getting their great reset. Uh, I have no about. We don't uh, don't look for me at the next We Hate Putin rally. Wow, okay. that is interesting. There's so many things there to unpack. First of all, I want to mention the whole globalist term. A lot of people I like in the media, as soon as they heard the heard the term globalist, they assume you're doing the dog whistle about Jews being the puppet masters of the world. 
I don't think that's what people always mean. I think uh, no, I've, I've never no. bought that. I think there's plenty of people that are worried about globalists. I'm worried about globalists that d- doesn't have anything to do with Jews, but that is often the case. Right. As as a guy who is honestly trying to get to the truth and communicate the truth to you, I will tell you uh, the globalism thing has nothing to do with an international cabal of anything. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there are certainly the powerful and rich people who want more globalism because it makes them richer and to hell with the American worker, for instance. Uh, but, you know, that's an economic debate, and, and there's no reason to go into weird rabbit holes of conspiracy and, and, and pizza sex tra- trafficking or any of that garbage. Uh, the one aspect of the Putin thing I want to address, though, because um, we've received a couple of emails either directly espousing that view or we got a note from Mike the other day saying, hey, I'm running into a lot of people in my church who are like, hey, Putin's really standing up for Christianity and the rest of it. Who started uh, that story? Well, I, I, I can kind of explain it to you, and and I'm begging you to believe I'm saying this as your friend, Okay. Putin is a murderer and a torturer. He is a liar. He is a thief of enormous proportions. He embodies evil in a way not many human pe- human beings have been capable of. I mean, he he represents an astonishing level of evil, okay? And the idea that Christians are defending him because he's some sort of brave defender of Christianity is just crazy to me. But I th- I know where it came from. When Putin was rising to power from the chaos of the former Soviet Union, remember, when the Soviet Union fell, what was going to happen was not clear at all. The West, uh, for reasons both good and, and looking for profit, had certain desires for the shape the government would take and who would run it. And uh, Matt Taibbi has actually written about this. Um, a lot of the powers that be in the West loved Putin. They saw him as a guy they could do business with. He was sane. He was rational. He was sober, uh, literally sober, unlike Boris Yeltsin, who was a nutty drunk. Um, <laughs> literally sober. Yeah. And so they thought, wow, this Putin, you know, he's he's got a bit of a cold fish thing about him, but he was so smart. He knew what to say. He made noises uh, about even joining NATO to the West. He said, I see no reason uh, Russia wouldn't grow closer to Europe and have great relations and trade. Absolutely not off the table. Very cunning guy. One of the things he did, and here, my Christian friends, is where the evil meets uh, the, the rubbery evil meets the road. One of the things Putin has done through the years, and this was very, very astute, is he said to the Russian Orthodox Church, that was uh, beleaguered under communism and oppressed under communism. Very important part of Russian culture, um, as very, various Orthodox churches are in that part of the world. He said to the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church, I will restore you to your position of wealth, power, and influence. I will allow you to go about your business the way you see fit. Hold your services, you know, raise money, do charity work, whatever, whatever they want to do. I'm not judging the Russian Orthodox Church's day-to-day activities here. But he said to them, I will put you back on your pedestal if you give me your support. So, in return, another part of that deal is a the classic, Russian Orthodox... A classic move, by the way. I mean, how many kings of France or England did that over the centuries? They weren't religious at all, but they went with whichever... Uh, Protestant or Catholic was going to keep them in in power. 
Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you made it. The great religious wars of, of the past were barely about religion. Um, but uh, one of the aspects of that is he agreed with the church leaders. You tell me what your teachings are on social issues, and I will echo that from the Kremlin. And I will stand up for your traditional values, further enhancing the church and its its reach and that sort of thing. So while he is murdering and torturing and poisoning and oppressing and throwing doctors out of windows, murdering journalists in cold blood for reporting the truth as he bilks the Russian economy for hundreds of billions of dollars, unimaginable bouts of money, he is also saying, down with whatever traditional value position, transgenderism, gay stuff, uh, you know, just whatever, you know, sexual libertinism, uh, teaching the children about, uh, you know, gender bending and the rest of it that's so troubling in American schools. And, you know, Jack and I, we're against a lot of this stuff, and we, we talk about it openly. But that's the unholy bargain, literally, uh, Putin struck with the church. And that's why in some quarters he's seen as some defender of traditional values. It is a twisted and evil alliance, in my opinion. So, I don't know how you'd come to the conclusion that he's actually a Christian who you know wants what's good for the world, but e- even if even if it were all true, you know if I agree with all of his politics, he still doesn't get to invade other countries and bomb their hospitals and murder their children. See, that's the crazy part about tribalism. Once you've decided he's your guy, people try desperately to justify what their guy is doing. It's an aspect of tribalism. Or, you know, as you say, once you get an idea in your head, it's so hard to dislodge it. I'll tell you one other aspect of this I find interesting. Uh, yesterday afternoon, as as uh, Craig Gottwalls and I were trading texts about how flabbergasted we are by some commentators on the right siding with Putin, and we included Jack and, uh, and Tim Sandifer in the exchange, and I'm not going to quote anybody because it wasn't for public uh, consumption, but we were talking about the nature of fascism um, and... Uh, and and I was explaining it to Judy um, as we were chatting and having a cocktail last evening. It was a, a lovely a little sit-down. I'm so blessed that my wife and I still enjoy each other's company so much. But she was asking me about some of this stuff, and I explained. the th- One way to understand fascism, and I see the world through metaphors, just the way my brain works, is if if I use the example, if I got drunk and started to get like if. over... Over <laughs> and I started to get over the top flirty with one of Judy's friends, and maybe even like uh, touched her inappropriately or something like that. And it was really uncomfortable, and it was a bad scene. The Jack and I politically, we are advocating for reasonable policies and reasonable reactions. <laughs> Again, to the metaphor, it would be sitting down and having a serious talk about that, writing out an apology to the person um, involved, maybe marriage counseling, that sort of thing. That's where Jack and I are in terms of being conservative. Politically, fascism is a reaction often to reasonable threats, sometimes imagined, but sometimes troubling changes in society that people don't like. So while the reasonable response to those changes in society or threats to morality or whatever are like I described with the whole drunken groping thing. I'm just drunk. The fascist reaction is um, Judy 
punches that woman in the face and stabs me. Fascism reacts to sometimes legitimate concerns, sometimes not legitimate concerns, with extreme policies that often say things like, we've got to suspend constitutional rights because the threat is so great. We've got to oppress this group because the threat is so great. All, all of the things we claim to be for, we're still for them, but we're going to suspend them for a while because the threat is so great. It excuses its own extremism citing a threat. And I'm seeing some of my friends in conservatism getting dangerously close to that, and, and it makes me uncomfortable. But, you know, that's, that's a lot of political theory, and I hope it was at least semi-clear. But long story short is Putin's freaking evil. He's evil personified. Please don't get duped into thinking he's some sort of defender of Christ for Christ's sake. And I do not use that term lightly or that phrase. Oh, to paraphrase the grandma we were playing all day yesterday, I could shoot Putin and my hands wouldn't even shake. And I'd sleep like a baby. He is a bad, bad human being. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In the New York Times over the weekend, their editorial board, as was pointed out by reason, for anybody who doesn't know this, it's not like a columnist said this and then went ahead and printed it. No, this when the editorial board of a newspaper put something at this out, it's like, this is our newspaper's stated opinion on this. Our whole organization, this is what we believe. America has a free speech problem. For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned. And it goes through stuff on the right that I don't all agree with, but I think they had to throw that in there to not have all their newspapers uh, burned in America. And really (laughs) heavy on taking on cancel culture on the left, which is damned interesting, from the New York Times editorial board. And um, Reason Magazine put out a piece saying, wow, we could have written this article. Robbie Robbie Suave, who we've had on the show before. I could have written this article. The New York Times admits that America has a free speech problem. Many on the left refuse to acknowledge that cancel culture exists at all, laments the New York Times. The reaction to it, is its own interest. Now, this is a whole bunch of blue checkmark people. If you don't aren't on Twitter, and almost nobody is, but if you're on Twitter, you know that blue checkmark people are people that rise to a certain level of importance in America. Like if you work for a newspaper or a TV station, or you're a big enough deal, you get a blue checkmark. So those opinions matter more than just like regular doofuses. A lot of your blue checkmark lefties really hated with the New York Times pointing out that cancel culture is a problem. Some guy named Adam Davidson. Again, I didn't look up who all these different people are. If I still worked at the New York Times, I would seriously think about quitting today. Wajahat I'm sure you would, you lunatic, you adolescent. Wajahat Ali. Retweet if you want the New York Times to add more columnists who write about the rise of fascism instead of adding more who always complain about cancel culture. Um, Dude... Isn't that what fascism is? You taking getting rid of the columnists that say things that you don't agree with? Yeah, the fact that that's one of the great ironies of our time is uh, lost on people like uh, whoever that is. Some blue checkmark Democrat named Kevin Krauss. If the New York Times doesn't want people being shamed or shunned for bad opinions, they can help by no longer running columns by Dowd, Brooks, or Stevens. 
Maureen Dowd, David Brooks, and Brett Stevens are milk toast conservatives to lefties as columnists, but they should be fired, according to this person. Jeff Jarvis, another blue checkmark lefty. And these are all from Reason. Reason pointing out the reaction of the left to this. This is appalling. The both-sidesism of the New York Times comes out in full force from its editorial board as it equates the left criticizing hate and the right burning books. Pure moral panic. Criticizing hate. Oh, so you and your type get to decide what's hate, and then you get Mm -hmm. to criticize it. And we'll just have to go with the fact that you're obviously right about what's hate and what's not. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. You read my mind. The uh, The point of view is our opinion is self-evidently wholly writ and cannot be disputed. And I, d- furthermore, I don't have to back it up. You just take it or we will savage you. Meanwhile, on the right side of the aisle, mostly, we take the point of view that, okay, here's what I think and I will explain to you why I think it. Therefore, I would appreciate uh, being allowed to speak it. On the left, no, no, no. They've already decided, so no free speech for you. Um, what the New York Times gets into about can- cancel culture, particularly on the left, is driving people out of their jobs, you know, um, um, books not being printed, uh, movies not being shown, all that sort of stuff, because uh, a, a, a loud voice rises up and says, you've crossed some sort of line. The stuff they didn't like on the right, they use the example of the don't say gay law in Florida, which is completely misinterpreted as to what it is. Even Bill Maher, getting back to older lefties, said, why would we be teaching little kids about sex? Right. But I got to say, I'm not sure you need to have a state law about it as opposed to individual school districts deciding that. Um, you know, I, you can, we can argue about that particular issue. Um, but I, I think my reading of it was the, the New York Times sees the cancel culture of the left, a really big problem. They had to throw in that stuff on the right or they would have just been doomed. I mean, they got hit pretty hard by people on the left as it was. Well, right, that uh, feedback loop between the left part of the Democratic Party and the media that's reinforcing all of this gobbledygook has gotten people in institutions like the New York Times into a very weird spot, and the editorial board understands that. Right. You know, getting back to the ACLU statement, I thought that was interesting. They used fancy verbiage about clients that uh, don't ref- uh, that reflect values antithetical to ours, blah, blah, blah. Very, very fine uh, verbiage there. They broke out their thesaurus. But what they said was, we will only defend clients we agree with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a complete departure from the ACLU's soul. Reason ended with this. This philosophy must be countered by everyone who claims to hold liberal values, talking about cancel culture. It's a relief to know that the gray lady still has some fight left in her, I would say. Armstrong and Getty. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. 
Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The great lie that is green energy. And let me let me hit you with a preface. We don't work for the oil companies. I have no particular affection for fossil fuels. I am a, a bit of an environmentalist. I am a sometimes fisherman, an avid hiker and biker, an explorer of mountain ranges and wildlife preserves and national parks and that sort of thing. I am an outdoor enthusiast and value the delicate balance of nature. On the other hand, I don't appreciate people lying to me. I kind of take it personally. And the whole green energy thing to me is an enormous fraud. Not 100%, but a hell of a lot of it. Some evidence for it. And it is the future, but it ain't now. Yeah, and to what extent is it the future, realistically, and how soon? What's it, you know, actually, you bring up a great point. If, if you were to have a, a chart across time where the x-axis, that's the vertical one, right? Or is that the y? You're much better at math than me. I, I think the x is the uh, horizontal, but I don't remember. Yeah, okay. No, I think you're right. So the, the y-axis, the, the vertical one, is the percentage of energy we get from renewable energy. And the x-axis is time. And I think the green energy, either uh, like cultists or the people actually profiting from it, are pitching to us that, oh, it's going to be an extremely steep rise. And by the year 2032, we're going to be off uh, fossil fuels. And the skies will be clear. The the rivers, you could just put your head into your local stream and just lap it up if you like. It's going to be so clean. There's going to be no more global warming. It's going to be Valhalla. It's going to be wonderful heaven. And and the truth is, anybody who's a realist, that line barely moves upward. It is the shallowest ascent you've ever seen in your life. Some uh, Some evidence, if you will. And again, my only, you know, uh, dog in this race, horse in this race, you know, uh, beaver in this fight. And yes, I used to stage beaver fights back in the day. Look, I don't have a beaver in this fight. That'll be my new expression. <laughs> Mostly they just turn their backs to each other and slap the hell out of each other with that flat tail of theirs. But uh, anyway, I uh, got this note uh, from, uh, uh, we'll just say anonymous. 
uh, who who actually left California for South Carolina four years ago to uh, to escape the utopian dictates of Governor Lunkhead, as he puts it charmingly. Uh, but uh, 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 oh, uh, though I lived much of my life in the Central Valley, I spent the last six years in Long Beach, where I used my GI Bill to get a certification in the electrical field. You will not have to pay off my debt, he writes. Mm. I ask this overlooked question, which cannot be rationalized in my mind in response to the prospect of shutting down gas-powered vehicles and making sure virtually every car in California is electrified. How in major cities, where a vast majority of residents are apartment dwellers, do these folks go to charge their electric cars? Uh, I would routinely have to spend an amazing amount of time to fi- even find a spot near my apartment to park my car, never mind to charge it. Exactly how does California plan on addressing this? Um, and and so his point being, obviously, you would need a tremendous density of of charging stations to accommodate the the twin goals of virtually every car being electric and everybody living in high density uh, population areas like the green energy folks want you to. Yeah, I was uh, involved in a situation recently. Somebody was looking for a place to live and they drive a hybrid sort of vehicle and a question they had for every dwelling in a big city was, uh, is there a plug-in nearby? <laughs> Which has never been a question before, but it's hard to find a, a place in a city that's got a plug-in nearby. Well, and let's say you live in an apartment complex with 300 no units, way. which is, well. Ain't gonna work. Well, uh, if, if that 300 unit apartment complex has, say, 30 charging stations, and there ain't any that have that many. No. That'd be a lot. That's, that's 10%. So they've gotta have 10 times as many, you know, uh, in the next 10 years. That's and, gonna happen. And if you had a plug in next to every spot in a parking garage underneath a big parking, uh, big apartment complex, how much electricity would that use? To that point, another one of our listeners involved in the sciences, Paul writes, uh, oh, that's very nice of you to say. But that Thank one's, that says some nice stuff about the show. That's yeah. not a difficult concept to understand. You don't have to get into the electric grid or anything like that to just understand. Mm-hmm. All those people who live in urban areas who are the, by far the most likely people to adopt this whole hybrid electric car lifestyle. Where the hell are they going to plug in their car? <laughs> that's a very good question. You know, one guy angrily yelled at us that uh, we need to get our terms straight. There's hybrid, but there's uh, hybrid like the original. Nah, there are multiple kinds of ply, uh, uh, hybrids. Plug-in Probably. hybrids, regular hybrids, and mild hybrids. Uh, thank you for the information. Fantastic. You know, you be a little more gentle with your tone there, sir. But anyway, uh, sometimes people expect us to know everything about everything, which is in a way a compliment, but uh, ain't going to happen. Anyway, back to this letter from Paul, uh, email from Paul, which I thought was absolutely terrific. I've said this before, but I find it so incredible that I have to say it again in a slightly different way. Maybe you'll find it useful. If we devoted all of the electricity currently produced in the U.S. to powering electric cars, every single watt of electricity currently produced, it would not be enough to drive them the miles we currently drive gasoline-powered cars. In California, the situation is especially bad. Devoting all of the electricity produced in California in 2021 to electric cars would support driving them about 60% of the miles Californians drove their gasoline power cars in 2021. And then he goes into the details of it. In other words, if the entire electric grid of the country 
was devoted to nothing but cars. And the grid of many states, including California, Texas, many states, are, are taxed to the point of like having brownouts on hot days, right? We don't have enough power now to power the electric cars as much as we're talking about. And that's if we shut down every house, every factory, every farm, every everything across America. When was the last time you heard the green energy folks mention that? Right. That's an excellent point. And uh, I, I, uh, I struggle with this topic at all because I live in uh, an area where more people drive electric cars than, than anywhere in the United States. And it's still a small percentage. And I'm picturing so many of you out there in various uh, cities or, or, or rural areas across the country, like where my, where my brother lives. I'll bet there's not one person in the town that has an electric car. Mm-hmm. And my other brother who lives in a bigger city, there might be, geez, I don't know, a tenth of, the, of a percent of people driving an electric car. So I realize for most of you out there, it's, it's, it's the, all theoretical. Great piece by James Freeman in the Wall Street Journal. He quotes uh, Mark Mills' new report from the Manhattan Institute, which is terrific. I'm going to plunge in a lot of good stuff here. It's so interesting. And again, I just want the truth. I don't want to be ripped off. I don't want my tax money spent on idiocies. Regardless of facts or feelings about the climate, there are reasons why wind and solar power are not replacing fossil fuels, writes Freeman. Wind and solar are also no substitute for nuclear power. The government of California can issue as many proclamations and prohibitions as it wants against gasoline-powered vehicles. No doubt the Biden administration will enjoy spending the ocean of tax dollars, now earmarked for low-intensity energy sources. But reality will stubbornly remain. In a new report due out next week from the Manhattan Institute, which I've already read, uh, Mark Mills, oh, this is a couple days ago this came out. Mark Mills takes on the dangerous delusion of global energy transition that eliminates the use of fossil fuels. Surveying energy markets and public policy around the world, Mr. Mills asked readers to, quote, consider that years of hypertrophied rhetoric and trillions of dollars of spending and subsidies on a transition have not significantly changed the energy landscape. He notes, listen to this, folks. Civilization still depends on hydrocarbons for 84% of all energy, which is two percentage points lower than two decades ago. Now that is a statistic. With all the effort and the time and the subsidies, 2% in 20 years. And the change in lifestyle and the sacrifices that some people are making. Right. I mean, a 2% difference. Wow. Solar and wind technologies today supply barely 5% of global energy. Barely 5%. Electric vehicles still offset less than half a percent of world oil demand. Less than half a percent. And Mills in his Manhattan Institute report points out something that hadn't even really occurred to me. One can begin with a reality that cannot be blinked away. Energy is needed for everything that is fabricated, grown, operated, or moved. Digital devices and hardware. The most complex products ever produced at scale require, on average, a thousand times more energy to fabricate pound for pound than the products that dominated the 20th century. Example, it takes nearly as much energy to make one smartphone as it does one refrigerator, even though the latter weighs a thousand times more. Didn't know that. Thus, the global fabrication of smartphones now uses 15% as much energy as does the entire automotive industry, even though a car weighs 10,000 times more than a smartphone. Did not know that. Making all this little cool stuff takes tremendous amounts of energy. The global cloud, society's newest and biggest infrastructure, uses twice as much electricity as the entire nation of Japan. What? Yes. 
And I, then, of course, I, there I had all... no concept of the cloud using energy really at all. But I suppose it's a, a gazillion giant computer servers running constantly. Sure. Right. Yeah. And being cooled, et cetera, and manufactured. And then, of course, there are all the other common vital needs for energy, from heating and cooling homes to producing food and delivering freight. Advocates of a carbon-free world underestimate not only how much energy the world already uses, and this is the other one that i got to admit I didn't have a good grasp of, but how much energy the world will yet demand. In America, we have nearly as many vehicles as people, while in most of the rest of the world, fewer than 1 in 20 people have a car, and they want one. More than 80% of the world's population has yet to take a single airplane flight. What? Now that's a statistic. And as their economies develop and they're trying as hard as they could, those billions of people are going to want cars and fly somewhere. 80% of the world's population has never flown on a flight. Right. Uh, Quick word to the third worlders who want to fly somewhere. Trust me, drive. If it's less than nine hours, go ahead and drive. You can't imagine. Anyway, uh, a little more to squeeze in the time we have from this uh, great uh, report. Again, this is not shilling for the oil industries. This is just realism. Yeah, I wish it, I'd have thrown in a yet earlier. I made my way. The green energy ain't go- and it doesn't work yet. I'm not a. I'm not a. Like you said earlier, I'm not married to the whole fossil fuel thing, and it needs to continue forever. And I don't think it will. But it's. The the whole green thing, all this stuff is just not, we're just not there yet. Yeah, and, and the point has been made on this show as uh, other places that to spend trillions of dollars on the current technology is idiotic. It's just, it's not ready. Uh, Mills then proceeds to take on the argument that wind and solar power are now becoming competitive with fossil fuels. Claims that wind, solar, and electric vehicles have reached cost parity with traditional energy sources or modes of transportation are not based on evidence. Even before the latest period of rising energy prices, Germany and Britain, which are both significantly farther down the grid transition path than the U.S., have seen average electricity rates rise 60 to 110 percent over the last 20 years. Mm. The same pattern is visible in Australia and Canada. It's also apparent in U.S. states and regions where mandates have resulted in grids with a higher share of wind and solar energy. In general, overall U.S. residential electricity costs rose over the past 20 years. He goes into some detail on that. None of the above accounts for the costs hidden as taxpayer-funded subsidies that were intended to make alternative energy cheaper. Added up over the past two decades, the cumulative subsidies across the world for biofuels, wind, and solar approach about $5 trillion. All of that to supply roughly 5% of global energy. We will uh, we'll have for you at armstrongandgetty.com both the Wall Street Journal uh summary of the report which is kind of handy although you may get paywalled we'll also have you a link to the manhattan institute report by mr mills which is terrific it's a little long but again that'll be under hot links at armstrongandgetty.com give us a couple minutes to get it up there batteries battery storage is one of the big uh, hang-ups still isn't it that's just not it is. It's improved a great deal in the last yep. decade. I mean, it's quite impressive. But it's. Uh, I've I've read reports on, you know, what uh, a a battery farm using the current or soon to be adopted technology would look like if it were big enough to run, say, a city of fifty thousand people, um, in a power outage, and it would be, you know, like those uh, those storage uh, yards. 
those uh, what do you call them the, the, the storage yards where you can rent the little garage thing mm-hmm. and put put crap in that you really should have gotten rid of um it would be like five of those end to end to have enough batteries to run a smallish city storage units has anybody ever yeah. come up with a statistic on this what percentage of stuff in storage units should be in a landfill <laughs> Or given away or torched or something. And how many people are paying $30, $50, $200 a month to store stuff just because they haven't gotten around to going through the boxes and throwing it out? <laughs> I think I think that's got to be, it's got to be over half, right? Of the stuff in the storage units is, is stuff you don't ever need in your life. You know, I'm going to open up a storage yard. I'm going to invest in that. That's my new business venture because you see them all over. Oh, yeah. People need them. People yep. like them. And, and I'll offer a special service. You've inspired this. As you check in, or maybe no, six months later, because I want your money, but six months later, I will walk around for free with you and say, why do you have that lamp? (laughs) It's ugly. It's out of style. You're never going to use that lamp. Get rid of that lamp. (laughs) Just as a special service, an extra. Armstrong and Getty. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. That's right. 530 years ago, Columbus went on a trip but never made it to his intended destination. Uh, today we call that flying Southwest Airlines. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 wait a minute there. That's out of bounds. Uh, I had that uh, situation where I was trying to go from Burbank to Sacramento and uh, spent five hours on the plane and never left Burbank. It was horrible. Not as horrible as this Amtrak trip from Detroit to Chicago. That's a five and a half hour rail trip. Regularly goes. It was a 19 hour ordeal this particular oh. time, though. 
because it had ran out of power and got stopped a couple of different times. They go a little ways and stop, and when there's no power, they couldn't flush the toilets. So all the toilets were running over with uh, oh. urine oh. and yeah, fecal matter. Yes, fecal Johnny, matter. I know what they were overrunning with. I didn't assume it was champagne and beef stew. What the hell? That'd be weird. Um, So 19 hours. Wow, that's a long time. Uh, Amtrak has apologized for uh, for it. Of course, you know, that's what they do. So whether it's Southwest or United or Amtrak or whatever, we appreciate your cooperation. We apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> appreciate your uh, patience. That'll be uh, another 15 minutes or so, and we'll uh, keep you up to date. And uh, we've been here three days. Uh, several people have died, and several people have uh, formed an armed insurrection. But uh, we'll get back to you in about 15 minutes, let you know your status. Just to make that clear, that is not beef stew, nor is it champagne. <laughs> On the floors. <laughs> Running through the train cars. Philip White purchased a $3 bottle of Texas Pete hot sauce, which has a label featuring a cowboy and what court documents describe as, yes, court documents, describe as a stereotypically white Texas lone star reminiscent of the Texas state flag. He purchased this at a Ralph's grocery store in Los Angeles. And he is now suing, he's filed a class action lawsuit against Winston-Salem, North Carolina-based T.W. Garner Food for false advertising after learning that it's Texas Pete hot sauce is made in North Carolina, not the lone star state. Doesn't he have to, you know, I've learned this from the whole college loan fiasco. Doesn't he have to show harm? Standing? Have standing? What's your harm? Well, he says the uh, that White made the purchase while relying upon the language and images displayed on the front label of the product and at the time of purchase understood the product to be a Texas product. There is surprisingly nothing Texas about it. I don't know how I feel about this uh, on on one hand, uh, you know, buyer beware, all that sort of stuff. I want him held down, and I want this stuff poured in his eyes. Well, I don't want him to sue, but just whether or not right. you ought to be able to do that as a company. Um, uh, if it says Texas something on the label, it's going to lead me to believe, that okay, Texas is big on barbecue. They care about their barbecue. This might be pretty good. Should I have to read the fine print on the back of the label to figure out it came from North Carolina? Well, what the hell's the difference? You got like a cowboy-looking guy pitching you hot sauce, and they call it Texas Pete. What the, what the hell's the difference where it's manufactured? That's crazy. If it was manufactured in, in Oregon, but it was a really good hot sauce and called itself, you know, Tijuana Joe's, who cares? <laughs> My God. Just ridiculous. These stupid class action suits. Stop it. Real Italian dressing, and it comes from Boise? That doesn't bother you? It probably does. Mm. It almost certainly does. Armstrong and Getty. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. 
We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.